In this episode, I interview David Burke, a really incredible guy. David is wildly successful for being a chef, restaurateur, and businessman who is fueled by passion, grit, and a knack for artful innovation. To many people, he is considered a leading pioneer in American cooking and is also recognized internationally for his revolutionary techniques, exceptional skills, and successful restaurant empire, and also his many TV appearances. We spoke on a variety of topics, um, from how he adapted because of COVID, how he is finding new ways to bring in new revenue outside of just his restaurants, um, overall, what's led him to his successes, successes, but then also, you know, what he has coming this year, right? Um, there's so much great content here, and I can't wait to share, so let's dive into it. Hi, my name is Brett Linkletter, CEO and founder of Misfit Media, the best damn restaurant marketing agency on the planet. Here at Misfit, we help restaurant owners grow and scale their business through strategic online marketing practices. Right now, you're listening to our podcast, Restaurant Misfits, where we'll discuss all things related to restaurant marketing, management, and everything else in between growing a restaurant business. This podcast is also brought to you in collaboration with Total Food Service. For over 30 years, Total Food Service has provided the restaurant and food service industry with exclusive interviews to the latest news on products, trends, associations, and events. You can sign up for a free monthly subscription by visiting TotalFood.com today. And from all the misfits over here, we hope you enjoy the show. Cheers. David Burke, what's going on? Hi. How are you? I'm what's doing snowstorm coming. <laughs> you said there's a snowstorm coming? Yeah. You guys are in New York, right? We're in New York. We got a 10 inches of snow coming tonight and tomorrow. But got that's it. Okay. we've been hit with worse all year. Any uh, any fun plans for the holidays yet? Well, we I'm sitting in a new restaurant we opened a week ago. Go uh, in East Brunswick, New Jersey. It's called Orchard Park by David Burke, and uh, um, you know this. We're entering our second week, so I'll be here most of the most of the time, and I'll probably got drive it. down to Charlotte the next uh, the next day. Got it. Got it. Yeah, David. One thing, obviously, very interesting about you and what what you've done is obviously you've had so much success in this industry. How many restaurants do you guys have now? Um. We've got over a dozen restaurants right now, and uh, we're opening in Saudi Arabia next month, two restaurants. And, uh, um, you know, we continue to explore the uh, markets outside the big cities, outside of New York, New Jersey, uh, you know, uh, the, the suburbs of uh, Philadelphia, New York, uh, maybe D.C. Anything on the eastern uh, seaboard we seem to seem to like right now, but New York City right now is not very favorable for us. Absolutely, as I can imagine. Um, I've been noticing also something we've seen on our end is, is obviously all the protests going on right now. Have you have you guys anything on the protests or what's what's that been like for you guys over there? We've been focused on uh, staying positive and working hard in New Jersey. I mean, I, I agree with the protesting for the restaurant industry needs to be done we're, we're just removed from new york right now we're, we're dug deep in in new jersey and working hard we go i go to new york two weeks now to sign paychecks 
uh, there's no bit, literally no business for us there right now. It's a losing proposition. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that I think is really scary. I mean, for most restaurateurs in the New York area, and, and obviously a lot of people I've seen move out of New York because of this. I mean, um, on your guys' end, so you guys have about a little over a dozen restaurants. How many restaurants in New York versus uh, New Jersey? We have three in New York City. Um, we have uh, four currently open in New York, in New Jersey, and uh, three more signed in New Jersey. So we'll have uh, seven in New Jersey before summertime. So uh, we're, we're focused. We, we're in D.C. We have two in North Carolina, one in Colorado, and we're opening two in uh, Saudi Arabia. Uh, oh, wow. Next, one is next month, and the second one's probably six months later in Saudi. So, so we're, um, yeah, we're still fielding opportunities for fast, casual content. Most of these are, are brick-and-mortar restaurants, um, management deals, license deals, and or leases. Uh, but we have uh, something, uh, uh, we have a fast casual concept that got side. We're going to partner with Bloomingdale's and that's probably going to start getting revved up sometime after the holidays are over. But like you said, COVID kind of sidetracked quite a bit of what we were doing. Absolutely. Not quite a bit. Actually, we did a lot during COVID. It's just that some of the things had to be sidelined, especially in the, uh, in the department store aspect and in, in the retail center. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You said obviously COVID sidetracked you. Obviously it has for everyone, but it seems like even though through this, you you guys have had a lot of success, obviously. Um, Is, is the change to fast casual something you were planning on or is the change to fast casual something that was influenced by COVID just out of curiosity? Oh, no, we had a fast casual restaurant open in Bloomingdale's New York city called Burke in the box in the airport. Uh, many years ago so we were we were way ahead of that uh before the pandemic obviously and even even before the uh the uptick in fast casual which is probably four or five years ago um you know it's something i think chefs like myself are good at you know we're very creative packaging and we certainly know how to cook and uh we need to eventually find a, a concept that can make us money while we sleep because the fine dining restaurant branded guys like myself, celebrity chefs, there's only so many places you can be any given night with your name on the door. People want to see you. So, uh, you know, retail business, pots and pans business for us is very good. You know, we sell our, 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 uh, our, our branded pots and pans and TJ Maxx and Marshalls and home goods. And we're working on another pocket line. So, uh, yeah. we have dreams of income besides <clears throat> brick and mortar restaurant, which we got crushed this year. So luckily we were a little bit diversified. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you're saying you, you have a whole line of, of retail products as well. Yeah. And we're going to look into doing more of that. We also started doing the virtual cook classes. I have a, uh, a puppet I cook with Instagram as silly as it sounds. He made about $50,000 last year. And the good thing about him making money is I get to keep it. <laughs> so, <his name's laughs> <left. laughs> amazing. Amazing. You said uh, one, one thing you said, you, you said you're doing virtual cooking classes. Is that a new thing because of COVID or have you guys always been doing that? That's because of COVID hundred percent born out of the necessity to, to stay active and uh, the, develop some income streams. I'm working at home. Got it. Got it. And is that, is that something that, um, I mean, when, 
what's that look like? Just out of curiosity, is, is that something like uh, you host like a, a Zoom conference call and, and you have people book up certain times? How many people are typically doing a class with you? What we do is I mail out a meal kit to you, the same meal kit I'm going to cook from, the recipe, and I cook it with you. So I, you're at home cooking it while I'm at the, my home cooking it, walking through the steps, answering questions. I think it's on a Zoom. How, how have our virtual classes done? Um. On Zoom. Uh, yeah, they're on Zoom, and nice. I'm in my kitchen, and people ask questions in real time, or should I pound the flame mignon, or how do I know when it's ready, blah, blah, blah. You know what? We do it for about an hour, sometimes a Q&A session, uh, and we've done several of those for some big corporations uh, that have sent out 100 boxes. You know, we've mailed, we stuffed the boxes with the flame mignon, the mushroom caviolis, the vegetable, the sauce. There's a little bit of knife cutting going on, but basically... We ship you the box and we cook together. We recommend wine and maybe a dessert. And we talk about anything anybody wants to talk about. Career, uh, why, what, what difference between aged meat and unaged meat, depending on the recipe, you know, lends itself to the questions that come through. And we have a little entertainment, you know. And actually, it. And it's, a, it's a very good way to, to, to cook, depending on the teacher, of course. I think I'm a pretty good teacher someday. <clears throat> When it comes to, uh, um, uh, you know, putting a dish together and plating it like a chef and why we think that way and why we plate that way and why I cook it in my home kitchen a little different than the restaurant kitchen. It's, uh, so I, we find, it's very uh, interesting. I happen to like it. And I think depending on the questions you get and the audience you have also determines the, the energy level and how much people can learn. Absolutely. Well, I love that. That's really cool. Um, is that is that something that you're promoting specifically through your restaurants or through your personal brand? Through our websites. Uh, and yeah, you can do it at a restaurant or at Chef David Burke or info at Chef David Burke. I think it's part of our website. Um, and, uh, you know, we've gotten pretty good at it. You know, it's pretty, it's, and I think there are, you know, there's something to this. You know, we're also working on a reality show based similar to this where we're going to Mentoring young uh, to stay in my house and work as an apprentice underneath me in my restaurants, et cetera. Um, and uh, <clears throat> you know, we're always we're always working on stuff. You know? That's amazing. No, I, I love that, David. And that's and that's something I noticed about you before. You know, we hopped on this call and on this interview is is you've just done so many different things, and it seems like you're you're always staying innovative. You're always looking to develop new things, like you mentioned earlier, develop new revenue streams to continue being competitive. Um, what what is it? What is it? What does it cost someone to sign up for one of these personal uh, Zoom cooking classes? Oh, I I don't know. I think it could be anywhere between fifty to two hundred dollars, depending on the meal kit. But you get sometimes the corporations pay us. Like for example, I think one of the credit card companies sent it out. So we had let's call it Visa or part of one of those, and 150 of their black card holders, you know, decided to get a kit using some of their points, or they sent it to them. United Airlines did one. Uh, another company, you know, we had three or four major companies send out a hundred kits to their VIPs or their employees or whatever it was. And then we have some other ones that, you know, inner office ones where it's 25 people and, uh, and they all get a kit and they do it from home, but they're working from home. So it gets in, the, it's part of their 
their board meeting or whatever it is. Maybe it's a break, you know, in the afternoon or whatever. Normally we do them at dinner time because we make a dinner a dinner meal. But you know, I again, I'm also I've been doing these uh, at Chef David Burke on Instagram these cooking videos with a with a miniature puppet, and that's more humorous, rock and roll, and telling jokes. And the puppet is uh, he's asking questions, and that's turned into something that was really actually comforting during the height of the pandemic in April and May. And that, you know, the puppet started to get his own following. So we're going to try. And- <laughs> oh, my God. His name is Lefto, and he makes leftovers. And he's, uh, he's got his own little following. So we're going to try. Oh, to my part- God. Into getting his own, you know, cooking for dummies. I mean, he is a dummy. He's going to start to, uh, he's going to start to branch out and do his own thing. He's tired of, uh, He's tired of working with me exclusively. <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. It it seems to me, David, like, okay, so <clears throat> just since COVID, right, a, a lot of restaurants um, have had some bad news, obviously. A lot of restaurants have closed down. But again, it seems like for you, even through this, you, you've been finding really fun, interesting ways to continue bringing in more revenue, to continue having fun with it. Um What's been kind of like your, your your secret to coming up with these things? How do you how do you come up with these things, and, and how do you execute them so effectively? Well, some of the things uh, the puppet was in was basically in my closet, so that was something I've been wanting to do, but I never had the time. So you know, when you're stuck at home, you basically have no excuse. <laughs> you got the time, so I put it to work. Yeah. Also, a team of creative people that work for me, and we we just don't know how to sit around and wait. So we just, we, we move, you know, we, we're planting seeds and uh, they're not bearing fruit yet, but they'll bear fruit by summer. Some of the opportunities we took, some of the chances we took, we're like, you know what, let's go for it. We've been fortunate enough that we, when we had restaurants in New Jersey three years ago, we left New York City, started opening New Jersey. We had a very strong summer. So a lot of people came out from New York and stayed local and ate didn't go to Miami or California or to the islands because they stayed local. Saratoga, New York, we have a beautiful uh, location up there. It was very busy. And so was the Jersey Shore. So we, um, so Jersey kept us very busy throughout the summer. When it got cold, we got hurt like, as if, as we are now. Uh, but, you know, failure is not an option for us. You know, we, we just keep moving. You know, we, we're in the same uh, position as any other, as other restaurateurs. We happen to be fortunate to have big space in Jersey. We took advantage of that and, you know, we have to survive. You know, we have to come up with ways to keep people employed, not just shut down and say, Hey man, I wish you the best, but you know, COVID's killing us. We're going to fight it. And we've been fighting it. We've been coming up with solutions as opposed to sitting around and bitching about it. You know, I'm, I'm pissed about it. Don't get me wrong. I'm upset, but I don't have time to be uh, visibly upset. I have time to be, visibly looking for solutions in front of the staff. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, especially as a leader, as yourself, I mean, it, it, you gotta be right. Like you mentioned, we, we don't, we don't have time. We don't have the choice to right. accept anything, anything less than we got to take advantage of this opportunity and, and make something of ourselves, keep people employed. And I love that. Respect that. Um, same thing for us as a company. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, when, when March and April hit, like, man, we, we had half our clientele just go away. Right. And that was brutal. 
right? It was, it was terrible. And it was sad to see. I, I left half of my staff, my staff going, it was, there were good people, right? And nobody wants to do that. But I think as leaders, what we need to do for employees and staff is, is, is make sure that we can, we can be that, that silver line they're looking for. We can see that the bright light in the tunnel, we can, we can be that person that they can, they can follow through this craziness that we're all going through, of course. Right. Um, yeah. You're talking about obviously make, making some you know bigger moves in New Jersey, and, and it seems like New York is is obviously going through you know one of the toughest is one of the toughest places to be going through this whole thing right now. Do you see yourself making back big big moves in New York, or do you feel like I mean looking at New York right now, what is what does the next six twelve months look like in your opinion for the restaurant York, space? I think it depends on your location and your concept. I think the next six months in New York does not look good. I think the next three months in New York is still going to be a slow walk. I think people are are hesitant to get back into New York and work. The theaters will be closed. The conventions will be dried up. The offices will not be filled until maybe summer. Then summer in New York traditionally is slow anyway. So I think you've got to, you know, you'll be lucky to have a strong fourth quarter next year, I think. But but the for a guy my age who's been in New York City since 1984, bust and butt, I'm not that interested in taking a chance of wait and waiting for it to come back. You know, I have I have a couple of decent properties. I'm not, you know, I would never sign a lease in New York City right now unless at really favorable terms. Uh, I've pretty well discussed it on how the mayor and the governor have handled things. I, I really would like nothing to do with them. To be honest with you, and uh, and I think they mistreated the restaurant, disrespected the restaurant people that have worked hard to feed that city, train people, pay rent, pay taxes, do charity work, unbelievable amount of work for feeding the homeless and Meals on Wheels and all that throughout the decades, and just to be stepped on. It's really, really unbelievable. They just put us aside like that, uh, and you know what? We don't. If you don't have to put up with that, why would you? The rents are high. Minimum wage is going to go up again. Thank you, de Blasio. And all of a sudden, you know what? I can't make any money anyway. So you'd have to be insane to try and, and, and fight the odds of being in a restaurant business. The, the waiters, yeah. are, they happened in Seattle and the West Coast are terrible too. Independent entrepreneurs, restaurateurs that put their life on the line and their money to be the small business owner are being de-incentivized a hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Now it is such a scary thing. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you we're, we're based in Los Angeles and um, same thing happened here just a couple of weeks ago. They, they completely shut down even outdoor dining. Right. Um, and there's no, there's no evidence to point that, Hey, restaurants are behind spreading the virus. There's no evidence behind that. But, but there is evidence that the NFL and the NBA players are spreading the virus and they still let them play. Right? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it can be spread in an elevator. And I see plenty of high rises in New York where there's no way in hell two people can go in an elevator and get, and you'd get the 400 people up there in a timely fashion to get back to their apartment. So there's all kinds of what ifs and butts and all this stuff. So, but the restaurant industry, and since the beginning, the restaurant industry has been singled out as almost as if COVID was a. Restaurants, hey. restaurants, restaurants, you know what I mean? Not, not the subways, not the buses, 
not the protesters, God forbid. Protesters can't spread COVID. And they let them protest. And once they protested in New York, and nobody said anything about marching and vandalizing New York City protesting, sure. then people kind of said, you know what, the gig is up. You Got know? it. So you're, no, yeah, you're saying you, you kind of feel like it's, it's almost like it's restaurants have been targeted, essentially, a little bit. The food industry. Well, we also, we're not, we're not big fight. The airlines, I mean, if you can sit, if you can sit on a plane, shoulder to shoulder with somebody for six hours, and you're going to tell me that you, there's no chance of spreading a disease because their ventilation system is good. But shopping in a mall during Christmas time right now where it's wall to wall, and nobody can social distance because nobody's counting bodies is okay. It's just not fair. I don't, you know, it's not, it's not fair. I'm, I'm all being safe, but I'm also being fair. And they're not I, people that run restaurants like who know what sanitation is, who understand that want to protect their employees and their own selves. They're completely disregarding our ability to manage people. 100%. But trust me, to manage uh, an eight year old. Yeah. But see, and, and so why, why is this? I mean, what, like, I completely agree with you on all this stuff. And, and I, I think we're all wondering, like, why, why is this the case? Why, why are, if, if they are doing this, why are they targeting the food industry? Well, I, because we're a huge employer. And at one point we had a huge, we, you know, they want, in my opinion, I think that politically they wanted to keep the unemployment numbers very high. And if you shut the restaurants, keep the unemployment numbers very high. You can make one political party look bad. Now, what they're doing about it now is, I don't know, it's a distraction or they seem to think there's no science behind the fact that restaurants spread COVID more so than, than being at home. So let's push everybody home for the holidays, which will create more COVID than letting them go out and, and the rest. I, I know there's some restaurants that are breaking the rules. I know there are some. Why don't they police the restaurants instead of telling us to police it ourselves or penalizing us? So, yeah. They'd rather unemploy 30 people. Uh, the average restaurant employs 30 people almost. Where they should have put two health inspectors in every restaurant and paid them instead of paying 30 people unemployment. They could have policed the situation and give us passing or failing grades based on how we dealt with COVID. That would have been a fair opportunity. Yep. I agree. It's just, it's, it's wild what's going on. Um, I mean, p- politically, like what's happened this year. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that there's science behind this other than some kind of political agenda, honestly, in my opinion. Um, whatever the case, <clears throat> it obviously hasn't been very favorable, especially in New York. Um, what do you think restaurants should be doing though? I mean, how, how can we fight this? What, what, what is, what are some ideas that you have, or maybe you've heard, um, maybe some innovative things you've seen uh, to, to cope with the situation. Obviously, we've seen a lot of moves towards online ordering, direct online ordering, things like that. What are some of the big changes that you've seen personally? Well, listen, you can you, know, you can build a shed out front of your restaurant and spend 20 grand or 10 grand. Uh, you can spend more money <laughs> interiors. Uh, I don't know anyone uh, in the cities. I'm going to talk about New York City for now. That is... Uh, that is joy. I mean, I'm sure some of the pizzerias and Chinese takeout places are doing gangbusters, right? They don't need all the waiters. They just need cooks. The packaging uh, might be doing fine. But for the fine dining restaurants, or the ones with finesse that get their money from bar business and that are selling uh, 
uh, ambiance and creativity and, and a dining experience. My, that food doesn't travel in a plastic tub. You know, my Bronzino is not the same in a plastic boat as it is on a plate with the right music and the right garnishes and the candle and this and that and the other. So you, you take that away, that $40, mm. it doesn't translate. So I'm not, I'm not going to rush back to order. that, And it's overcooked by the time it comes. You know, so not everybody, every menu is built for takeout. And you could adjust that. But people don't think of David Burke when it comes to takeout food. They don't think of certain chefs when, it, you know, they think of Wuhan Yap or whatever you want, or, or Tony's Pizzeria or the Burger Joint, whatever it is, because it's takeout. And I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to spend $100 for a three-course meal from a fancy restaurant delivered to my house that was in the back of an Uber for an hour and a half. I agree. You know? No, you, you make you make a very valid point. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you just. And then we have to worry, you know, why should we have to redesign our business model because of a few politicians? And we can't, we, you know, we're resilient, we're strong, we're adaptable, we're creative, we're, you know, but now we're pissed. Now yeah. we're pissed. You know? Rightfully and, so. And we're going to get hungry. And we're used to, we're used to eating a lot of food when we're hungry. And <laughs> going down so like i said you know, we're keeping positive and doing everything we can but you know what the wind is out of our sails uh you know and there's there's a little bit of hope always but we're not happy about it and there's certainly no respect for at least on my side for what this people what these people have done for us lack of what they've done to us and the lack of what they've done for us especially in the simple thing called communication there's been a lack of communication as to when we close, when we open, what's happening, what we're doing. So we can't even plan. I can't even tell my one of my chefs or employees, why don't you go home for three months? Why don't you go back and visit your family? Why don't, I can't even give anybody any concrete data. Yeah. Do you think do you think it's a state problem or a federal problem, politically? I think it's I think it's a federal problem. I think it's. I think New York has its own problems with each thing, but I think, I think there's an attitude problem with government right now and power, yeah. and uh, you know, and politics, and hate. You know, I think there's a combination of all kinds of things going on, and just the lack of giving shit. Yeah, yeah. I I'm qualified that are in office oftentimes to understand how to, how to manage anything. You know, that because office their whole career haven't managed the business. So they're not they're not solution driven. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's wild. Um and I, I think you're absolutely right. There there is there is an attitude problem with government. There's an attitude problem, I think, right now in in, a, in our country to some degree, right? Um the other thing is all the other things that have popped up. I mean, it, it's just <clears throat> we had a, a client actually based in Southern California. Um, who's, uh, um, he, he runs, uh, actually two restaurant locations. Um, he's Asian and, um, during the whole BLM movement, uh, I guess some of the restaurants in our area, I don't know if this is a nationwide thing, were receiving, um, discounted rates on some of these third-party apps for being black owned businesses. For some reason, this restaurant client of ours uh, got the benefit of being a, a black restaurant owner and getting some kind of benefit. He didn't even know this. Okay. He got put on their list somehow. I was getting some kind of special benefit because of it. 
Someone then found out that he was on that list. I think it was an employee of his or something. And uh, basically told the public, this guy is pretending to be black to get this benefit. The guy is such a sweet, such a sweet guy. He had no idea what was going on. Gets completely destroyed. Gets the most terrible PR because of this. And had no idea. He wasn't trying to take advantage of any kind of system. But it's not even just the government. The, all these different initiatives popping up. It seems like it's just it's just tough. And he's like, Brett, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I never signed up for the, the, you know, to be on the on the blacklist or whatever you want to call it. You know, just I just didn't even know I was on it. And then when someone found out I was, I, I get all this terrible PR. And so it's not even just the government. It's, it's all these other groups popping up and this and that initiatives. And it's, it's just wild. Um, <clears throat> but w- with all this being said, you know, you know, with all the bad news, again, there, there has been a silver line to all this. It seems like you've still been able to have a lot of success with it. Obviously, you're, you're pushing more in New Jersey right now, which is fantastic. Um, Speaking about technology, though, that seems to be kind of a big trend for a lot of restaurants right now. I know you mentioned that for specifically your restaurants, a lot of them, uh, takeout is is somewhat not of the best option, obviously. But have you guys made any moves maybe in store, uh, any new technology changes or shifts to adjust to what we're dealing with now? Yes. Again, <laughs> Paula's going to step in here and talk to you about it because she's the one who's going to grab that seat. I got to... Hi there. How are you? Let's do it. Good, good. How are you doing? I'm good. So just to reiterate the question that I think I heard was what technology are we instituting now pandemic wise? Yes. Yes, exactly. So oh, the snow just started. Uh, from every level, we are um, basically activating all delivery services um, yep. in terms of needing to connect directly to the consumer who's going to be buying the meal directly from their house now. Um, separate from that, actually delivering that food, we're doing all these um, virtual events, um, which Chef has been doing a tremendous amount of for large companies, well-known you know, brand names like United Airlines, Verizon, et cetera. Um, yep. That um, using platforms such as Zoom, um, IG Live, um, okay. WebEx, well. Google Hangouts, that's Google that's, Meet, that's, that's um, and then of course the main one that everyone knows, which is Zoom. So, um, and then with that component, um, we do meal kits with the house as well. So, meal kits, but, um, yeah, yeah. Do and then guys, there's all. Go ahead. Do you do you guys see the whole meal kits? You know, live Zoom tutorials. Is that something you guys think you're going to continue for a while or yeah. forever? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And again, I, I think I, I, I asked, I, I asked David earlier, but is this something that you guys are doing at a restaurant level or, or across the board on all your restaurants? Um, so it's a brand level for Chef Burke. Um, and then he can, obviously we can quarterback each location as needed. Um, but generally speaking, these guests are all over the country, in some cases, all over the world, um, multiple time zones. So that's really the Chef David Burke brand more so than it is the individual unit level. Got it. Got it. That's fantastic. Um, what about, what about other things in store? Have you guys, I mean, are you guys doing the whole QR code menu thing now or any other kind of tech in store? Yep, definitely. The QR code is something um, we had to implement right away because everybody was afraid that the virus was on the menu, which we know. Um, but it became an easy thing to do and uh, we can get customers right to our website and our Instagram pages and such at that point too. So it's sort of an extra level of connectivity to the guests that we didn't have before. Absolutely. 
silver lining. Wait, so yeah. you're you're wait, so you're saying that the QR code menu is also driving them to your social media sites? How do you, how do you guys have that set up for for anyone who's maybe listening to the first like never even tried a QR code menu? Because I think I think for a lot of people, I'll tell you guys this: a lot of specifically our clients are resistant to the whole QR code menu thing because yeah. they're like ah they, they don't want that they don't want that. But obviously, like you guys just mentioned, there are some other additional benefits. How There's are you guys set it up? There are benefits. We're actually we prefer paper. Chefberg prefers paper. Always has. Always will. Uh, he yeah. also prefers going to make a phone call to make a reservation versus going online as well. Um, so trying to appease all of the clientele that we have and giving them multiple options. Um, some mm-hmm. people are resistant to the QR code, yes. um, but for the person who has who wants it, we have it. So we offer both. Okay, got it. Got it. But how are you guys doing that? How are you driving someone to your social media sites? Is it something where like, it's like a little webpage, you take them to the menu and then there's also suggested links or something or so Instagram how is that set up? Instagram provide your Instagram professional account provides you with a QR code that brings you right to that page, right to your Instagram account. And then we have menu right listed there so they can click it. Oh, very right. cool. Right. right. Or you can create a QR code, which by the way is free and easy to do and take you straight to the website menu page as well. Nice. Okay. So you're, you're driving them straight to your Instagram then. That's, that's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Um, okay. And then um, I guess for both of you, right. You guys obviously on, on the, on the food side, you guys serve delicious food that there's no doubt about it, but what else makes you guys different? What else are some other reasons that you guys feel like you've been so successful other than the food side? Branding, marketing, trust, execution. Uh, you know, we're, we're just keep, you know, we're like ever ready money on Instagram right now. We just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Right. And I think you're transparent. Transparency might be a good one. Brand marketing, transparency, trust, trans. Um, and how do you build that trust? I think we communicate quite frequently. Years of our years <laughs> of execution correctly. Yeah. Uh, Delivering. On the marketing end, um, talk to us about kind of what you guys are doing there. Is is it uh, mostly digital at this point, or what kind of marketing initiatives are you guys pursuing? Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's almost a hundred percent digital. Um, everything from Facebook to Instagram. Um, Chef has a newsletter at his at the corporate level for himself, and then trickling down to each unit, we have newsletters that we communicate with our um, clientele that way as well. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Um, what about text or email marketing? You guys do any kind of SMS or email initiatives? Well, email is really the newsletter. That's an email blast, like a MailChimp that you're Got probably it. used yep. to get. So that's the email component. And then the, the text, to, we, we have, we've explored it, but we've not actually pulled the trigger on it yet. Okay. Got it. And on the ad front, social media, are you guys running any ads or just posting organically? Um, well, we use our ads that we, we use our posts and then promote them. Got it. Got it. And at this point, it seems like not, not much traditional stuff, just purely digital. Traditional, you mean print? Yeah. Very little. Um, very little. We do definitely, um, editorial pieces occasionally when we're asked to do it, but not paid for editorial. So not, not paid advertising. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so looking at your guys' business, I know David mentioned that, you know, he's not really looking to make any strong moves right now in New York for at least for the next foreseeable six to 12 months, it looks like, right? Which, you know, yeah. I don't blame him, right? It's, it's, it's a tough place to be going in business right now. 
Um, if you guys are looking at further expansion, are you guys looking at New Jersey or, you know, specifically, are there any other areas? I know you said, you said Saudi Arabia as well. Um, what are some areas you're looking into right now and, and, and why? Uh, North Carolina, DC, Philadelphia, Boston, New York. I mean, New York state, New Jersey, those areas. Yeah. Maybe a hotel deal in Chicago, Connecticut. You know, I want, we want to be able to drive there. Right. Yeah. I mean, on, I can drive. It's nine hours, but we can fly. It's an easy flight. It's a flight. Well, Chicago, our brand is very strong. So we would, we would entertain a hotel deal in Chicago. Uh, and otherwise, I think there's enough business for us in uh, locally in uh, the tri-state area. Um, and then trying to conquer the world, you know, going to Vegas and West, West Coast. I wouldn't touch anything because of the labor laws. You know, yeah, but Seattle and San Francisco and LA is a disgrace for hardworking restaurateurs that spent 30 years building empires only to be crumbled by the politicians. I mean, it's terrible. You know, people have left, you know, and uh, oh, it's like the mass exodus right now. Everyone's leaving California right now. It's absolutely absurd. Um, yeah. believe me, our, our agency is based in Culver City, Los Angeles. So, you know, I've, I've looked at other uh opportunities <laughs> because the you're right. Running, running a business in California is becoming brutal. Um, we saw, what it was it? Tesla, HP computers, uh, Oracle, all just left California in the last few months. I mean, it's, it's just getting ridiculous. Um, what would you say guys? I mean, let's, let's just say there's, there's a, re- there's a, you know, most of our, our listeners on this podcast are our restaurant tours, usually with, you know, just a couple of restaurant locations, maybe what are, what are just some pieces of advice that, that you would, maybe give some of these people right now dealing with some kind of hardships dealing with COVID. What, what are some things they should be thinking about if they want to be successful for the next, call it three, six, nine months? Minimal labor. <laughs> well, labor is a problem. I mean, you got to streamline your, your menu labor. You got to cut out some of the labor. Uh, you know, you got to get creative with the tip system, you know, and, and you got to get a percentage rent deal. You can't just pay a huge rent. Yeah. You know, Everything has to work a little different. The, the traditional method of having a waiter make $200 a night and a cook make 100 and the owner makes zero, it's not going to fly anymore. <laughs> because the owner's paying rent, paying the utilities, he's paying this and that. But I, the, the front house is going to have, uh, is going to want making less money. Uh, yeah. But the way they do so, so that it balances out. There's only so much you can charge for the chicken. I mean, how much are you going to pay for chicken? 90 bucks? How much before the levy breaks and you just say that I can't eat out anymore at that kind of restaurant? Yeah. You know, or has to give. And what happens is the waiters who complain that they're only making $5 an hour are actually making $45 an hour when they get their tips. But nobody ever listens to that when it comes to Congress and they want to keep giving them more money. So the tip model is going to have to change. You know, they ruined a good thing, you know, and that's, that's just the way it goes. You know, you got a cook making eighteen dollars an hour and a waiter making forty dollars an hour. It's not balanced. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Times, especially, that aren't making anything, and 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 they're getting de incentivized. We're, we're paying the spread of hours, overtime through the roof. Uh, there's vacation pay. If you call somebody off because it started snowing and it gets quiet, you still got to pay them four hours. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, it's a, a, a strong reason 
why you see a lot of these restaurateurs adopting some of this new technology. We've seen a lot of stuff like uh, ordering at the table, right? Removing some of the waiters and some of their staff because it's just not doable anymore. Uh, I think the restaurant model for a lot of people was, was just broken and, and COVID has taken out all those broken models. And, um, yeah, you know, hope, and I, hope... listen, I think a lot of restaurants are going to be out of business before COVID anyway, before the game. People were having a tough time with the increased minimum wage and making ends meet, and we were struggling anyway. You know what I mean? You have a bad fourth quarter and you're done. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but like I was saying, I mean, I, I, I think hopefully uh, if there's anything we've learned from this is that the, the model was broken. We need to innovate. We need to be stronger. And hopefully we will come back stronger from this. Um, David, just want to appreciate you for your time today. Uh, this has been incredible. Uh, such a great experience getting to speak with you. Um, any, any other final thoughts for, again, any other restaurateurs who are listening to this right now and, um, you know, just are looking for some inspiration? What would you tell them? This is a 35-round fight. You just got to stick it out, man. Stay on your feet. And the bell will ring, and we'll be we'll, we'll be back in the back in the corner, freshening up, and come out swinging. That's all we can do. Stay, you know, but and also, you know, take the opportunity to be grateful for what we have because we're still in a good position. We're in a good country, and uh, we'll get through it. It's awesome. just uh, just a little bit of pain right now. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, all right, Dave. Well, I appreciate your time. That was incredible. And um, if somebody ever, if somebody wants to look you guys up or look into your restaurants, what's the best way to do that? Uh, chefdavidburke.com or at chefdavidburke on Instagram. Amazing. Amazing. So then for all our listeners and all our viewers, what we'll do is we'll include those links below this video and then below on the podcast. Um, as always, the podcast is available on um, Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, and this video will be up on YouTube as well. Um, David, again, appreciate your time and, uh, we'll, we'll be in touch real soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.